With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast Tuesday edition because this is the final member of our power trio of NFL Draft Recap Shows. Uh, I am your host, Gary Gramling. I am joined by the specialist guest I could think of, and that is Andy Benoit. Uh, you go, if you go back one in your feed, you get the, the AFC rundown. All 16 teams in the AFC, we broke down all their draft classes. This is going to be the NFC. Right now, NFC, and the way we're going to do this, Andy, if you remember... As we said yesterday, we always feel bad for the divisions of the West because they're they're always last in these kinds of shows. So we are going to reverse it. We're going to do NFC West, then NFC South, then NFC North, then NFC East. And those guys in the East can can wait for once. Uh, and within each division, we are doing alphabetical. So uh, if you want to skip around the show, you can uh, pretty much follow that map and just succeed in life. But uh, Andy, are you uh, are you ready to go here? Do we have any uh, chit chat to do at the top? No, I assume we're doing this order because the powers at the top got out, reached out to you and said, hey, we got to get more Arizona Cardinal leads on our shows right now. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that that's that's where it's at. I don't know. I, I don't want to bust on the Cardinals. Too. They're an interesting team. I guess they've been really good in the past and nobody nobody cared that much. But uh, they're an interesting team with Cliff and Kyler and uh, DeAndre Hopkins now and. 
Yeah. No, there's yeah, it's, it's, it's a better team. It's a better team for sure. And I think there will probably, I don't know if I'd be among them, but I think there will be people this year that forecast them to finish ahead of the Rams in the NFC West. Probably they, they would finish third, the Rams would be fourth. I would not be among them. Yeah. But that's uh, the, the the view is the Cardinals are a team certainly trending in the right direction. I have some Rams takes when we get there, but let's uh, let's talk about the Cardinals first. And uh, their draft ca- uh, class here, Isaiah Simmons at the top of it. And look, the question was still persisting into, you know, the, the third and fourth week of April here. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, safety or linebacker? And when I, I guess now that he has a home and you look at the rest of this defense, uh, you know, you got Buda Baker, you got, uh, uh, I, I guess it'd be Jalen or, or Deontay Thompson at the other safety spot. Um, you know, what are they going to do with Hassan Reddick? Uh, where does Simmons, uh, if, if he was 50-50, where does Simmons best fit in in this defense? I think the question you just asked, where is he? Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? That's the question you want your opponent asking when they take the field and line up on any given snap. I think that's what this system needs to be. Positionless player, if you want to call him that. What this system has been in the last couple years, it's it's honestly, I've had trouble identifying exactly what their identity is. I've watched all their snaps. I, I don't know what their identity is. They do a lot of zone coverage. They'll play matchup elements within the zone. They're one of the few teams that travel their corners in zone. So a corner is going to follow a receiver, even if that takes him out of his zone positioning. Uh, it's It needs to be adjusted because if you're going to draft Simmons where they draft, if you're going to take Isaiah Simmons, if you have him on your team, and you have Buda Baker already there who's very versatile. Buda Baker to me is in the Tyron Matthew class then you need to be playing to those skills and those talents and building the system around them, being an attack-oriented defense because you don't want Simmons just being a read-and-react linebacker. That's I don't think that's his strength, and I, I, don't, I don't even know if that would be a strength for him. I, I think he's better as a space player who's in an attack mindset. Yeah, I, I was kind of confused in the lead-up, and look, people who were saying these things, I, I presume, are smarter than me because they, they work for teams and whatnot. Uh, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, well, some teams are kind of down on Simmons because they want a defined role for him and they don't know what his defined role is. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of nice to to have a guy who doesn't need a defined role and can do a lot of things well. Dime defense is becoming more popular in the league right now. And I could see Simmons being a dime safety for somebody. Now, that would not be his only role. You're not going to play him 30 snaps a game. He's going You want him on the field for all 65, 70 snaps. So, but when you're in dime, that's your third down in situations. That's a lot of your two-minute situations. You could argue that's where the game's decided in today's NFL. They're critical snaps. I could see him being a linebacker in those scenarios. Taylor Rapp does that for the Rams. He mm-hmm. is their dime linebacker, strong safety. To me, and I and I have not watched Simmons enough at all to, to make comparisons, but to me, his role, his style of player for what he'd be in this scheme would be similar to a Taylor Rapp, probably a more dynamic, electrifying Taylor Rapp. Okay. Uh, Cardinals didn't have a second round pick and then they, uh, they get Josh Jones, the Houston tackle in the third, presumably becomes the, uh, heir apparent to Marcus Gilbert there on the right side. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people thought he might go first round. Um, a bit of a developmental guy. I know a lot of people like the fact that he had some, I, I, I think it was, he didn't give up a sack or something, but, uh, I always tell people it's the, uh, 
It's the uh, American Athletic Conference he plays in. He probably shouldn't be giving up a whole lot of sacks if he's an NFL caliber player. I will say <laughs> another AAC team, my uh, my University of Connecticut Huskies were well represented at this draft because uh, basically any prospect who played UConn this year when they showed their highlights, they definitely showed a number of, uh, of UConn <laughs> highlights. Well, and one other thing about the whole give up a sack, not give up a sack number thing. A lot of sacks are created not by the guy who gets beat. Not like if I'm blocking the defensive end, that doesn't necessarily mean the defensive end beat me. Someone else beats someone else in the protection. It breaks down. The way they credit who gets a sack and gives up the sack, that is in the eye of the beholder a lot of the time. So I, I wouldn't put any stock in any kind of stat like that, especially coming out of college where the competition, as you're alluding to, it's so different from one game to the next and one conference to the next. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to the Rams. And before we get into their draft class, I just want to ask you real quick. I thought the Rams were, uh, you know, there's a narrative about their season because, you know, you're, you're defending NFC champs and then you miss the playoffs. Uh, I keep trying to point out to people that if uh, uh, Greg Zerline makes a 43-yarder on a Thursday night in Seattle, uh, the Rams are in the playoffs. And obviously, if you had the expanded playoffs, the, the Rams would have been in the postseason last year. Uh, I don't think last year was as bad a season as, as people think. I realize people are, are sort of down on golf, but um, they were... I mean, they, they average about 30 points per game in December, five December games. Uh, it looked it looked like they were starting to get right a little bit. I mean, it, they looked really good at San Francisco on a Saturday night uh, in Week 16. Is the offensive line getting right? Because obviously, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they took a, a, a Clemson guard in the seventh round here, but they did not address the offensive line at all this offseason, aside no, from obviously yeah. retaining Andrew Whitworth. Yeah, correct. They did not. They have reason to feel good about their offensive line. It did. I, I think it improved a little bit over the course of last season. Not enough, of course, and, and the offense never really did completely get on track. It was it was close there at the end with San Francisco. They were playing very well down the stretch. Uh, and some of it is, is the Rams had some ugly losses on national TV. The Ravens embarrassed them on Monday Night Football. The Cowboys really blew their doors off on a big Sunday afternoon game. Uh, even the Bears' victory that the Rams had, it was not a Rams-style game. It was a, a draw, you know, slugfest, draw out the victory, slowly eke your win out there. So it, the offense was never as rhythmic last year as it's been the previous couple years under this coaching staff. For their offensive line, Whitworth, you feel good about him at left tackle still. Austin Corbett was, a, a, I believe, the 33rd overall pick in the draft a few years ago. Now, not every team saw him that way, but enough would that you know somebody took him 33rd overall. So there's some talent there, and I don't think he was bad for them once he got into the lineup. Brian Allen at center, Austin Blythe at guard, you're decent enough there. And then Bobby Evans or Rob Havenstein at right tackle. Gary, if I said to you, okay, the O-line needs to be better, which guy are you replacing? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, I don't know if there is an answer at this point. I, I thought they really steadied it nicely late last season. I would agree with that. And it'll be interesting what happens with those guys, that the, the rookies who played last year, David Edwards at right guard. Does he get a look for maybe a starting job this year? 
Bobby Evans at right tackle. Evans played pretty well in some scenarios. Now, what's interesting is they had some different schemes with those guys, and he didn't. They didn't run just purely the outside zone designs that we know from the Rams. There were some more north and south blocks inside zone where instead of stretching to the left or right, you're going up the field and you're just double teaming and running behind the double teams. So a little bit of a different game, and that's what the Rams had to do to adjust their ground game because they just weren't the same rushing attack overall. Mm-hmm. I think there's reason for optimism, though, with this offensive line. There's probably something to be said for continuity as well, having these guys play together. Well, so they uh, they go offensive skill position where they're two second-round picks. Cam Akers, the Florida State running back, who I would think, uh, when, when I'm looking at their two running backs, Akers and, uh, and, and Daryl Henderson's the other young guy. I assume they haven't given up on him in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I would think Akers is kind of your inside zone uh, power type of guy, and then Henderson is kind of your outside zone slashing type of dude, uh, which, you know, stylistically, that, that obviously is nice to have those two backs I, I I just I I guess I was caught off guard that they would you know go with a running back and in, in with their first pick here when they when I saw who they took when it was acres and and I'm going more off what I've heard from people within the NFL on acres versus what I've seen myself but from people I respect and what I've heard kind of a gliding mature nuanced runner is what he was known as coming out and one of those guys where the more you watched him the more you appreciated him to me, Gary, that suggests I think he will fit well in their outside zone scheme. I, I understand the idea of Henderson and, yeah, one cut and he might take it to the house. And and that's there's certainly something to be said for that. And that's why they drafted Henderson last year in the third round. I think Akers will fit what they're trying to do, though. Remember, even if Akers is an inside zone type of runner, they're not going to do that on first down because their whole play action game comes off that outside zone stuff. So they're going to want to keep doing that because otherwise they lose their passing game. So the game where the Bears, where they were really running a lot of inside zone, they didn't throw the ball at all that night. They didn't have the wet. Robert Woods was out for that game. So it's if they want to be who they are, it's going to be outside zone. And I'm sure they feel that Akers can be the guy for that. And, uh, and then they go Van Jefferson, the receiver. Uh, obviously, they, they lost Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks was, was sort of, uh, you know, he's down last year, had some cushion, concussion issues. Uh, but they take, uh, and, and very rudely, I might add, uh, they, they take Van Jefferson two picks before uh, Van Jefferson's father's team was on the clock. The the Jets, Sean Jefferson is there. Oh, is that his son? I, the, I didn't know that was his son. Yeah, so they, they snagged him 57. Jets were picking 59. Ended up with Denzel Mims, which which they're fine with. But uh, again, it's it should be like Little League rules. You automatically go to the team that your father coaches <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, uh, there you but go. Van Jefferson is... Uh, it, I, I look at this receiving core now. You know, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Josh Reynolds. And yeah, I mean, all, you know, precise route runners, I, I think that you like them all, but, you know, I, I there's no really explosive element among those four, so I guess you're going to have to generate that uh, uh, those explosive plays. Yes, you will, and that will be one concern is, yeah, who takes the top off the defense? Because when they do their play-action game, a lot of it is flood concepts. Flood, three-level stretch, three receivers on one side of the field. One is deep, one's intermediate. That's the guy that's usually running the crossing route. And then one is shallow and underneath. And actually, the Rams will put a fourth guy over there late in the down a lot of the times. That's the foundation. And with that Niners game where they were killing San Francisco, they did that probably 25 times in that game. It was incredible. They just did it snap after snap. Who's the guy that's going deep now? Because it used to be Brandon Cooks. 
they don't have anyone with that kind of speed. Now, yeah. on the on the flip side, though, Brandon Cooks was struggling a lot against press coverage at times. So when he was not afforded a bunch of help from the scheme of the designs, when it wasn't play action, he he could be taken out of some games, which is part of the reason he was available for trade. So I would assume they feel Jefferson will be better in that regard. Now, but it's you, you give up something if if this guy could run the way Cooks runs and still be as big as he is and not get pressed, he'd be Julio Jones. And then we're not talking about him as yeah. a second round pick. Yep. Uh, and then the rest of day two here, they had two other picks. Uh, Terrell Lewis, the Alabama edge, who, uh, you know, injury-prone guy, would have gone higher uh, had it not been for some dur- durability concerns. Uh, you know, presumably, you pencil him into sort of a Dante Fowler role. And then uh, Terrell Burgess, the Utah safety, who uh, he's converted cornerback. I don't know if he's quite rangy athletic enough to be a single high type guy, but uh, he did a lot of different things in, in Utah's defense, and, and they had a pretty advanced uh, approach there. And I, I would assume he can help early. I would imagine they'll have him be the single high guy because if it's not him, who 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 is it then? Uh, I mean, is it, it it's not Rap because we know he's a linebacker guy. Aaron Donald. Yeah, <laughs> sure, he'd be very there. good at that too. I mean, John Johnson's at his best as a box guy down there. Johnson can probably play single high. He's a good all-around player. But I would imagine Burgess is here for his ability to play center field. I know the Rams, that staff likes Marcus Williams. uh, who They liked him as a rookie when he was with the Saints. He's still in New Mm -hmm. Orleans. But Williams came out of Utah as well. It doesn't mean that Burgess will be Williams, but... I would be surprised if Burgess is not the single high guy, but I don't know a lot about okay. him. I, again, I don't study these guys until they get to the NFL. Okay. Let's, uh, and I should mention real quick, just because I just saw this factoid, uh, the Rams did take a, a tight end, Bryson Hopkins of, of Purdue in round four. Uh, did you know Tyler Higby in the month of December, last five games of the season, Tyler Higby led the NFL in receiving yards? Uh, I would not have gone that far. I knew he was very productive. I didn't know that he uh, was that productive. Yeah, he had a, you know, I had the number up and I lost it. I, I believe it was, uh, if I remember correctly, 522 yards over those last five games. Um, well, and, and he played, it wasn't just that, oh, he's catching the passes now. He was, I mean, he was more athletic. He looked more athletic yeah. down the stretch. And one thing, I've been watching Rams film quite a bit actually lately, Gary, is he he is very good Higby at releasing inside and creating space for himself off the snap. He's become the high le- he has become a high level route runner. Let's go to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they had picked up that 13th pick uh, for uh, DeForest Buckner, and they end up trading down one spot with the Bucks and take Javon Kinlaw, South Carolina. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. You know, a lot of people say, like, oh, they traded Buckner for Kinlaw, and it's like, you know, they did, but, you know, they, they traded Buckner at $20 million for Kinlaw at uh, much less than that, and that's kind of yep. how uh, life goes at this point. And it has to because they had to re-sign Eric Armstead. And then uh, Brandon Ayuk, who who we talked about, as I said, he is uh, probably a better version of Jerry Rice that they're just adding to the offense now. Uh, <laughs> I love Brandon Ayuk; he's absolutely perfect there. I did. I said on the Friday show, if if you missed, I I, I think he's a slightly more dynamic version of Debo Samuel, uh, really which got like, my attention because I think yes. Debo Samuel is a man. I do too. 
I, I agree with that. Uh, but the, uh, you know, they made three day three picks. So we're not going to dive too deep into those guys, but obviously they added Trent Williams. Joe Staley uh, announces his retirement. They go out and get Trent Williams. Obviously, we haven't seen Williams in a, in a while now, but uh, uh, you would think that this is a this is a pretty good trade off for them, and and we'll see how Trent Williams ages into his thirties here. But uh, at least in the short term, they've solidified that spot. And when we last saw Trent Williams, he was the most outstanding, ex- even I'd say even explosive blocker out in space on their perimeter probably in the nfl he is really good in the screen game he's really good at what they call running the alley getting down kind of by the painted field numbers and clearing out space there and when you consider all the misdirection that they do all the stretch zone all the end arounds to samuel and some of the screens that they'll throw in san francisco having a guy like trent williams that can do that and get to the perimeter you could almost argue that guy's a weapon now i mean that's that's i think he'll fit really well for what they do and shanahan obviously knows him very well because there's the washington background overall there that was a really good trade and a good commentary on the Niners organization that Joe Staley went along with this and didn't break the news to anybody till after the trade, which I don't know if that's how it went, but reading the tea leaves, that's probably how it went. That he Staley did right by the organization on that, and you know he would probably only do that if the organization had been doing right by him for a long time. Yeah, and I should mention uh, respected private citizen Peter King in his Monday column. He was embedded with the Bucks, and we talked a little bit on Friday. You know, oh, why would the Bucks come up one spot? Uh, you know, was someone else bidding for that 49ers pick, and that's why they had to pay for it? That sort of thing. Uh, Jason Light told Peter that he had heard rumblings that Joe Staley was retiring, so they thought the 49ers might be in the running for uh, uh, Tristan Wirfs, who was the last sort of, you know, uh, of the big four tackles on the board in this draft, and that's why the Bucks felt even more urgency to jump up to 13, so. Yep, we wondered about that. Who, what did they say to the Bucks on the phone that made them make that trade? Because the Niners, to, to us, we didn't know the Joe Staley thing. It didn't look, and John Lynch had actually said the opposite. Joe Staley will be back here. That was a smokescreen. So we were wondering how that conversation happened. I, I don't know who told Jason like that. I would guess it'd be an agent if I had to guess, but that's mm. that's total guesswork. And that's that's where a lot of the information comes from. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So the Seahawks, they take Jordan Brooks, the Texas Tech linebacker, and uh, during the lead up to the draft, we were in more and more teams really like Jordan Brooks. Uh, I know, you know, obviously you have Bobby Wagner, you have K.J. Wright, uh, those guys are getting up there, and Brooks, uh, at the very least, becomes an option for the future. But, I mean, they, they play a lot of three linebackers in Seattle. They do, and I, so I'm wondering, it's it's one of two things. Why are, why are you taking Brooks? Because remember last year, they drafted Cody Barton in the third round, and they mm-hmm. Pete Carroll said Cody Barton's their best coverage linebacker already, uh, or at least they mm-hmm. feel he can become that. Okay. Yeah, no, I know, I, I hear you, and, but and let's get. But here's the point. Here's here, we can agree on this. They feel good about his coverage skills. They, yes, he, he's not as good as Wright, I would imagine, and Wagner, who I think is a little overrated in coverage, but he's a very he's an excellent player and a Hall of Fame guy. So, it's Cody Barton's in the mix. He's going to play for them. So now they've got four linebackers that they're planning to play in the next couple of years. Is Brooks here because he's replacing? K.J. Wright, which is quite possible, Wright's in a contract year, I believe. Is he replacing Bobby Wagner as well, since Barton's here to theoretically replace Wright? Is that, are we seeing a total change of the guard over the next two years? 
Or are the Seahawks going to stay committed to this 4-3 approach? He's keeping three linebackers on the field, not playing with a slot nickel corner. Is that going to become the standard for them? Because they really did not address that position in free agency at all this year. I think the best slot guy on, on the field for them would probably be Quandre Diggs, and that's not how they use him. He's a free safety. So I wonder if they're going to stick with this 4-3 thing. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I, I, I was... <laughs> Again, we talked a lot uh, how there was sort of a lack of edge rushers, and they did take Daryl Taylor in uh, the second round. I, I, I thought he was very good uh, out of Tennessee, uh, re- really an edge burner. Uh, so maybe they addressed it there. Maybe they just didn't like anyone at the end of the first round. Of course, they, they trade out of the first round every year, so if you didn't like anyone, you figured that's what they would have ended up doing. But uh, they do add Daryl Taylor in round two, but that's kind of all they've done is Jadavian Clowney going to be back. Uh, and I, that might be a function of, is anyone else going to sort of take the risk on Clowney when, when your doctors can't sort of put your hands on him, maybe that changes this summer. But, uh, I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to further enrage Seahawks fans because I said this all last season. Uh, this defense got a lot of takeaways. Those takeaways were, I mean, they had a lot of fumble recoveries. I mean, it just, and and it's not a front four you would have looked at and said like, well, this is really disruptive. I can see why they were getting so many strip sacks and fumble recoveries and stuff like that. I think they were just sort of, uh, you know, they got them in clusters when maybe they shouldn't have been coming in clusters. Yeah. So uh, again, this, this is a team, they, they finished them like plus eight in point differential. They had a lot of opponents miss uh, field goals over the course of the year. Um, I was hoping they'd be a little bit more aggressive uh, and, and sort of rebuilding this defense this offseason, and, and they weren't. And I mean, look, they win every year, so I probably shouldn't criticize them. But <laughs> Where I thought they'd be 7-9 and nine last year. and what they, I think they finished 11-5. and five. Where's that? Was that their final? I mean, they were – this has been – this is a really, really well-run organization top to bottom. Uh, they end up going with Damian Lewis, the uh, guard from LSU, really a uh, you know a, a fire hydrant type of dude, uh, a pure power guy at guard, and yeah, we'll you know we'll see what and they do. He's going to play. He'll play for him now because they got rid of DJ Fluker. Yep. Phil Haynes, a fourth round pick a year ago. I don't know anything. You know, he was not on the field last year. I don't know a lot about him. But that's kind of the kind of lineman they've been getting. It's these bigger north and south guys. The Seahawks used to be an outside zone running team back when Marshawn Lynch was here. Even though Lynch never stretched the zone, he always kept it front side and just cut it up inside. Uh, but the blocking structure was outside zone. They're not that kind of blocking team necessarily anymore. It's more of a power, man to man, downhill, north and south kind of running game. Yeah, they uh, they moved on from Justin Britt as well. Uh, so yeah, they're they're changing things up on the offensive line again. And uh, before we move on, I, I do just want to mention the, the number was sixteen uh, fumble takeaways last year, which I I just that's don't, a lot. I yeah. just don't think is sustainable with what they have. I mean, they, that was tied for second. Uh, the Steelers were ahead of them with eighteen. The Bucks also had sixteen. You look at the Steelers and the Bucks; those are very disruptive uh, pass rushes, uh, especially coming off the edge. And you just don't have that in Seattle. I, I don't know if they can count on another 16 fumble takeaways next season uh that's something we talked about with the 49ers in the reverse last year you know 
2018, they had seven takeaways, uh, and then they they ramped up that pass rush, and and it just took off, and that was that was the big difference last year. But uh, enough of the 2019 recap. Let's uh, let's move on to the AFC South, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, kind of just a, a straightforward draft. I mean, they 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 uh, had three picks in the top 100, and they kind of addressed what I think people would have seen as needs with this team. Uh, they they take AJ Terrell, the long quarter cornerback from Clemson in round one and stylistically he fits we know that whole Seahawks corner thing that we've heard about with Dan Quinn and there's probably something to that Isaiah Oliver who will probably be their number three corner now because I think they like Kendall Sheffield quite a bit their fourth round pick a year ago but Isaiah Oliver is another long-bodied guy so they're drafting similar types of corners in recent years um, are, are you reading the next guy? Are you, are you going down the list and I'm talking about each guy? Is that how we're doing this team? Sure, let's do it that way. Uh, Marlon Davidson, uh, defensive end, but really more of a guy. I, I think you reduce him inside on on passing downs. Uh, you know, he's he's an Auburn guy, played with Derek Brown. Really, really good. I really like him. But, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about the need for sort of an edge burner here. Uh, they did add Dante Fowler, so you do have an edge guy. So maybe they just sort of went uh, best best defensive lineman available at pick 47. Yeah, that's possible. That's what they did. They they must like Tack McKinley as a D end more than I like him as a D end. I mean, they don't love him because he he's. I don't think they picked up his fifth year option. So he's in this pick of Davidson could suggest that McKinley's on his way out. My point though is I've thought for a little while now. Why not slide McKinley inside a D tackle? I think he's got the body type for that. They apparently don't see it that way because. Who else will play DN for him? It's going to be Fowler and then who? Davidson, if you're saying he's a D-tackle, and I think that makes sense, McKinley becomes the other nickel pass rushing defensive end then. And then uh, the center, Matt Hennessy, uh, you know, another uh, another good mover uh, out of Temple. And we've talked about it. Alex Mack is, is probably, uh, you know, nearing the end here. So now you got his heir apparent there. Yeah, that's just drafting 101. That's as straightforward as it looks right there. All right. Nice. This this team, by the way, Gary, I think they're in win now mode. No, I think so too, and we've talked about it a lot. They they really rectified what was going wrong defensively. Uh, we've mentioned a couple times they, they finished six and two down the stretch. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people saw them as sort of you know in the Super Bowl conversation coming into this year. I mean, they, they were just at the Super Bowl a, a couple years ago. I can't quite remember what happened in that game. But, uh, you know, that's a that's a team that should be going for it right now. You still have Matt Ryan. You still have Julio Jones. Uh, it, the window... <laughs> <laughs> if it's if it's if it's not open uh, I, I mean it, it's open it's it's as it's open, open as it's gonna be yeah yeah it's open Matt Ryan somebody asked me this weekend if, if maybe they would move on from Matt Ryan I don't think they see him like that he's you know he'll be 35 in May it's a little older than I thought he was but I, I don't and I don't think that's how they see him I think they believe he's still an elite quarterback Let's go uh, Carolina Panthers. We've been wondering what they're going to roll out this year. A lot of a lot of college coaches coming up to the NFL here. Uh, they take all defense. Seven picks, seven defensive players. Uh, Derek Brown and Yetcher Grossmatos were their first two. Uh, Brown, obviously, interior lineman. Uh, Grossmatos, uh, an edge guy who I think you're going to ask to do a lot of sort of looping inside and and sort of sort of ta- you know tackle end games here. 
And Kawan Short's already in the mix there. He's still an elite defensive tackle. They signed Steven Weatherly. He'll probably play on base downs, maybe play some defensive tackle and nickel situations. Be interesting to see if Brown can be a full-time nickel D-tackle. We know he can play first and second down. It'd be hard to justify taking him as high in the draft as they did if you didn't feel he could play nickel defensive tackle. But Weatherly can be in the mix. And then remember last year, Brian Burns, they took in the first round. So mm-hmm. their, their front four is pretty defined. I think it's going to be a 4-3 scheme, straightforward zone coverage, if I had to guess. That's what they've been mostly the last few years now. That's that, that It's defined what they're doing on defense, at least, which it should be. They just added a bunch of players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Chin uh, from Southern Illinois, sort of a, uh, you know, a, a safety linebacker hybrid type guy. Uh, I would, I would assume they, they play him at safety, kind of the Eric Reed role there. And then yep. uh, uh, I will mention Tony pride, uh, the cornerback from Notre Dame, really fast guy. Uh, Cause they are just, I mean, they are incredibly thin at cornerback. You look at that cornerback group. I, I don't know who starts opposite Dante Jackson right now. And I don't know how crazy they are about Dante Jackson, who was a little bit up and down last season. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good point. I had not, I guess I had noticed that, but it had not been at the front of my mind. They have Corn Elder it might be in the mix at cornerback for him. You know, Corn Elder, it's a fun name. He's been around, he's been on some roster, he's been with this team for a while. That's a position that will need help, though. Those safeties that you just mentioned, they're going to be playing back quite a bit here. Yeah, yep. Uh, let's go on to the Saints. Uh, short one here. They, they did, at one point, trade all their day three picks to jump up and, and uh, get another day two pick. Uh, they did end up jumping back into the seventh round to take the the quarterback, uh, Tommy Stevens, another sort of athletic developmental guy. But uh, they end up going with uh, Cesar Ruiz, who that sort of caught us off guard. And best we can figure is he is going to replace Larry Warford uh, very soon. And how soon is the question? Warford, to me, did not look like he was in decline last year, but the Saints know a lot more about him than I do. His contract is up this year, so even if he if he was not in decline, you have still have to make a decision on him. That's why Ruiz is here. The other, these other picks, too, that you're, you're going to list off here, these third-rounders, I don't see an immediate role for them either. I, I see how they fit the system and the program. I don't know where their snaps and their reps will come from in year one here. Yeah, Zach Bond, you you would think his value is probably going to play on third downs and just get after the quarterback, speed guy. Uh, and then uh, I, He's not a real pure speed edge bender type guy as far, as far as I understand. He's fast. I'll say that. He's I mean, he's small. I, he is he is fast for a I, I don't know what he weighed at the combine. I, I would have said uh, somewhere in the 230 range, but Yeah. Um yeah. So I mean, there you go. I I think he's a guy who you just send straight at the quarterback. And uh, you develop him as, as someone who can play off the ball a little bit as well. Uh, and then Adam Troutman, who I, I presume Adam Troutman is just straight up, uh, he'll replace Jared Cook uh, after the season or, or two seasons down the road if they if they bring back Cook for one more. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the, Troutman might be a guy who needs that kind of development as well. The, the good teams, when you're in one of the benefits of having a complete roster and hitting on draft picks, you're able to take a lot more chances and freedoms with what you would do in the following drafts because you're not needing guys to play right away. A guy like Troutman, you can develop within your system. He doesn't need to be on the field very often. We talked about that's how Seattle does things. It's That's sustained success in the NFL. And I think the Saints are kind of... They're kind of near that territory now. They've been a playoff caliber team for several years in a row now. 
Uh, the Bucks, as we mentioned, they they end up jumping up one spot in the first round, take Tristan Wirfs, uh, which we, we talked about quite a bit on the Friday show and, and how that sort of signifies that maybe this is a little bit more of a Bruce Arians offense uh, with some of the downfield stuff as opposed to uh, sort of uh, Tom Brady-ish uh, quick strike stuff. But uh, day two, they end up getting Antoine Winfield Jr., another safety there, and uh, they take the running back, Keyshawn Vaughn, and, and you kind of wonder. It seems like Arians has been less than thrilled with, with Ronald Jones, so you wonder if uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be the guy who uh, ends up being sort of the, the workhorse back in this offense. Yeah, because they've sure talked Ronald Jones up a lot. We hear a lot of positive headlines about how the Bucks feel about Ronald Jones, and you know, you don't get those from Christian McCaffrey's team a whole lot because you don't need them. So it's, and then to take a guy in the third round at his position, you might be onto something there. Yeah. Um, you know, Jones has some nice skills, though. I could see why Jones got drafted where he did. There's a lot to like. And they took a guy at his position. Coaches and teams, they tell you how they feel about guys by what the, by what their actions are. And Winfield is nice in the, you know, in the, in the Todd Bowles defense here. Yes, because I think Winfield, let's assume Winfield can play. Let's say he's a, I don't know, nobody's a safe pick, but let's say they are very confident that he'll be on the field for them. That solves a lot of problems because their secondary last year, Jamel Dean at corner, third round pick, got better over the course of the year. Carlton Davis, 2018 second rounder. Sean Murphy Bunting, he's actually a pretty good looking player, but he moved around a little. Is he a slot guy? Is he an outside guy? MJ Stewart, these are all young corners and I think they're good, not great, and they, and, and they achieve that a good, not great through highs and lows. Safety is a little bit true as well. Mike Edwards, third-round pick last year, and this is where it applies more to Antoine Winfield. Justin Evans, rangy guy, but didn't play last year due to injury. We're talking talent here. None of it is proven, other than Carlton Davis, none of these guys are totally proven three down players. If you can get that out of Winfield, that's a lot more freedom and flexibility you have with deploying these other guys because now you're only filling one spot. You're not trying to fill both spots out there at safety. So I I like the Winfield pick because I think there's a potential domino effect with it. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let's go to the NFC North, starting with Chicago Bears. Uh, They came into draft weekend with only nine tight ends on the roster, so they had to address that (laughs) shortage, and they get Cole Komet. Uh, with the 43rd pick, uh, I mean, look, they, they have a lot of tight ends. Obviously, they're not all – I'm sure they're all perfectly nice guys, but they're not all necessarily great players. Uh, they did – I mean, they, they signed Jimmy Graham, and, and they paid Jimmy Graham, I think, a little bit more than everyone expected Jimmy Graham to get. Uh, but now now you have Cole Komet. Uh, they, they brought in Demetrius Harris. Uh, Adam Shaheen is still there. But I, I would assume some mix of Graham, Komet, and uh, and and Harris are what you're looking at here. Yeah, and I would imagine that Shaheen's going to have a tough time making this roster because those three guys you mentioned, Graham is clearly a receiver. Harris is, I'm, he's he's he can do everything. I think he's a little more. He's here because he's a good receiver off the bench. Commits an all around classic tight end. They need a blocking tight end somewhere. And Shaheen has not been on the field at times. Broniker, Ben Broniker got on the field ahead of him last year. So did JP Holtz. But we don't we don't need to get into great depth on the number four tight end of a seven and nineteen from the <laughs> NFC North from a year ago. I guess what what this tells me though, with what they're doing in the position they've invested in, they want to do what the Chiefs do, which is an obvious passing situation. Third down and long, second and long even especially third down though it's it's three by one or it's really it's a one by three when you say one by three you mean a tight end as the one and three receivers 
on the other side. A three by one, the tight end would be part of the three receiver side. So anyway, it's a one by three formation. Travis Kelsey is a huge piece of that for Kansas City. They know that they don't have a Kelsey on the roster, but you want a guy who can be a receiving threat so you can at least scheme the way you might with Kelsey. And that's Matt Nagy comes from KC. He knows the value of that kind of thing. They signed Trey Burton for that, and they lined up with Burton that way a lot. It didn't work out for a number of reasons. They're trying again with Graham. They'll probably try it with Cole Komet. They'll probably have these guys all on the field at the same time as well. Not necessarily in third down, but when you go with multi-tight ends, you can simplify some of the coverages and looks. And if they're going to salvage Mitchell Trubisky, and that's a big if because Nick Foles is here now, but if they're going to salvage Trubisky, you you want to help him as much as you can. You want to put him in a chance to succeed, give him some predictable looks, and let him find his rhythm and feet as a passer. I think Nick Foles is going to uh, be the quarterback there. When they I, I kind of agree with you because what Foles gives you that we have not yet seen from Trubisky, maybe we'll see it. He's he's still relatively young. Remember, he young? He didn't pl- yeah, he didn't play a lot in college. So he's basically where most second-year QBs would be right now. He's entering year two in terms of total reps at a high level. But they're not running the full offense with them. It looks like they are because they do a lot of stuff before the snap and it's well presented in their formations. Their route combinations and what they're doing, they're not close to doing what the Chiefs do, for example, and nobody is, but they're not running an expansive offense with Trubisky. With Foles, they'll at least run almost the full offense. Yeah, it's uh, it, like I said, a lot of tight ends. You got Tariq Cohen, uh, not a whole lot of depth at receiver. Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller. After that, you're you're looking at you know Cordero Patterson, Javon Wims, uh, Riley Ridley types, and then uh, they they just they couldn't get anything going on the ground last year. And I I don't know if David Montgomery plays faster in his second year. Uh, they did not address the offensive line outside of losing uh, Kyle Long. So uh, just just still a lot of. A lot of question marks here on offense, but the uh, you know they they have a chance to do some creative problem solving here with uh, with Matt Nagy. Uh, should mention they they did have a second second round pick, and then they didn't have another pick until outside the one hundred and fifty. But uh, they do take Jalen Johnson, the uh, Utah cornerback, who you know seems to be good value at where they got him. Need to have a man-to-man corner. Chuck Pagano wants to blitz. You play man-to-man behind most blitzes. If he's not blitzing, he's usually playing some kind of cover four or quarters coverage. And for cornerbacks, for all intents and purposes, that's man-to-man as well. Uh, the Lions, we, we talked about Jeff Okuda. We, we know why they took him because you, you need to cover people in the NF, in, in, in the NFL. Uh, round two, they go DeAndre Swift, the, uh, the Georgia running back who can do a lot of things. And I, you know, I don't know if you want to call him, uh, uh, you know, stylistically a, a James White type, uh, Alvin Kamara type, but he, he's that type of guy who adds a dimension to the passing game. Carryon Johnson is capable in the passing game, and I think Swift is more uh, definitely a movable chess piece type of guy, definitely a, a guy who is, well, frankly, more of a threat in the passing game. And what I like is they drafted Jonah Jackson at guard in the third round. They got... Logan Stenberg, the Kentucky guy in the fourth round as well. So whenever your picks can butress other picks, I really like that. And they've invested in the running game now in three ways. A couple of guards, which they they could use an infusion of talent at that position. And then what you just outlined in Swift. And the other guy, maybe you were going to get to him, Gary, but I'm going to steal your spot here. Julian Mm O'Quara as a pass rusher. They badly, badly needed pass rushing help in Detroit 
and Romeo Carr is already on the roster. Julian and Romeo, from what I've read about Julian and, and, and looked into a little bit, very different types of players. Romeo's kind of more that classic Devon Kennard kind of guy. He's going to hold the block, hold the edge. And uh, Julian's more of a bender and a more explosive athlete, which probably explains why Julian went in the third round and Romeo, I'm clicking on to see, went undrafted. Romeo yeah. made the NFL in 2016, though he's had a nice career. Yeah, they've uh, they've cornered the market on the Oquaras. We'll, we'll we'll see what they do. Um, it's funny. We uh, I, I I'm plugging this, but I'm not proud that I'm plugging this. So we have the first uh, MMQB power poll coming up today. Uh, it, what it was it was me and and Jenny Verentis and Connor Orr and Albert Breer and, and Mitch Goldich uh, voted. And and I I just noticed a lot of people had Detroit like 31 32. And I have been very critical of uh, of what Lions have done. I mean, they, they've invested so much in an offensive line that just hasn't really done anything. And I, I think they've sort of squandered Matthew Stafford to an extent. But but before Stafford got hurt last year, I mean, this was they, they, they were what they were sitting at what, like three three and one. They they got robbed by the officials in Green Bay on a Monday night. Uh, yep. You know that that one tie they were an uh, ill fated timeout away from do. But Stafford was playing at an MVP level. Uh, you know, obviously the the defense sort of uh, fell apart, and then you can't really keep pace when it's Jeff Driscoll or, or David uh, Blau under under center for you. But um, I'm not going to sit here like I did two years ago and guarantee a Detroit Lions uh, dynasty, but there's no reason the Lions can't be a nine and seven team if if Matthew Stafford is going to be in the line. If Stafford's hurt again, I mean they'll they'll be the worst team in football. I agree with you. If they they got to learn to finish games, and it's easy to say. I don't know how you actually go about finishing games other than playing better. That pass rush show was a big factor in the in the inability to finish because. Yeah. What would happen is as the game went along, their pass defense just got worse and worse a lot of the times last year. And that wasn't necessarily on the secondary. It was more on the guys trying to get to the QB. So, and, and they're, you know, they follow the Patriot model. They don't necessarily need big-time pass rushers, but you need some guys that can at least win when they get into one-on-one scenarios or execute the schemed rushes. A lot of stunts, a lot of twists. Jamie Collins will be part of the pass rush now. Trey Flowers needs to be better than he was a year ago. I didn't think he was a very high-impact player for what they're asking of him. Mm-hmm. And now Julian O'Quara. So three guys that give you a chance at maybe being a little bit different defensively now. Okay, so here we go on the Green Bay Packers. We talked about Jordan Love a lot on Friday night. I'm sure we're about to talk about him a little bit more because you just look at the draft class as a whole and kind of wonder. But before we really dive into this, I do want to throw out a trivia question, and and you can maybe think about it. It's just it's a number guess, so it's not uh, it's not a big deal. But it, are you um, asking me or the listeners here? Uh, both. I'm asking you, but the listeners are you. Uh, it, it it's like a. Oh, uh, we have a better audience than that. It's, Come it, on. It's it's like you're, it's like a choose your own adventure type thing. What should Andy answer uh and I I'm actually I'm stealing this off uh Cole Kubelik's uh Twitter feed so uh if you know the answer and I assume like most people you listen to this podcast with an audience like a bunch of people get together that's that's how you're supposed to be experiencing it it's it's a <laughs> it's sort of a, a, a you want to be within a crowd uh especially but th- now this time this time in our world <laughs> That's, I mean, socially distanced, but I mean, you know, you, you can't just listen to this alone. You're, you're missing out on, on all the fun. Uh, this is the trivia question. How many first-round picks has Aaron Rodgers thrown touchdown passes to in his career? Like, how many different ones? And you can think about it, and then you can answer at the end of this uh uh, section here but uh, uh so Jordan Love and, and we're not quite sure what Jordan Love means here I mean they uh, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I have not gained any clarity. He's certainly an inexpensive backup, I guess. And then, uh, I don't know, if, if you put him on the field, maybe you end up in a situation where someone will give you a high draft pick for Jordan Love down the road, but um, also you just spent a high draft pick on, on Jordan Love. But uh, <laughs> yeah. round two, they, they go A.J. Dillon. They, they go with the big back. Uh, I mean, I would say... Uh, in a perfect world, AJ Dillon becomes your Derrick Henry. Uh, I, I don't know. Is that is that what you want to build now with Aaron Rodgers there, and and, and do a bunch of you know sort of wide zone and then uh, play action off of that? That's I, what I'm Matt Lafleur. That, well, that's the answer to that is yes. That's what Matt Lafleur wants to build because that's what he had in Tennessee with Derrick Henry. And I know he's not in Tennessee anymore, but they've continued to run that system since he's been gone. That's that's what Matt Lafleur knows. And it's worked really well. It's what Shanahan runs. It's what McVay runs. So the last couple of Super Bowls have been represented by that scheme. Tennessee Titans were a game away from the Super Bowl. Green Bay attempted to be that kind of team last year. And I think they got pretty close to not where they want to be yet. These outside zone teams are the most successful offenses in the NFL right now. So LaFleur's thinking is that's what we're going to build. It's going to start from the run game. And uh, Josiah DeGuara, the the uh, I mean he he's an H back. He's not ever going to be a, a a wide tight end in in the league uh, out of Cincinnati. A smaller tight end type guy. Um, you asked, did you ask me about him before the draft? There there was some someone to reach I, out. I want to say I think I, we, we talked about him. Well, we wouldn't have talked about him the other night because we we recorded that right after the first round. I I feel like we have asked about him at some point. He'll if he's on the field, he's going to be your second tight end, correct? He's, you just said yeah. he's not a wide tight end. So that's even more evidence. There's a lot of evidence here, Gary, that these guys want to be a run type of team. They they drafted Dylan. They drafted DeGuara. They've invested in that kind of scheme. You could even argue that drafting Love is a little bit of a commitment towards that because Love is stylistically in he what he can be if it all goes well. He'll be a more on-schedule player than Rodgers. It doesn't mean he's going to be better than Rodgers. No one's saying that. Maybe he will be. You know, they They, they, they might think he could be one day. But stylistically, he's more of a rhythmic QB. Rodgers, that's not in his innate nature. So Green Bay has known this, and that was the biggest challenge they had last year. And I thought they did a, a pretty good job, a really good job of massaging that and having Rodgers come back to them, and then they meet Rodgers in the middle, and it kind of goes that way. But they're making a commitment to the run game for sure, which means to some degree they're asking Rodgers to come a little more towards the middle towards them. Okay. Uh, when when someone did ask me about Deguara, my my scouting report was he'll he'll make you forget all about Clay Harbor. But uh, <laughs> that's um, what it, I needed to not talk so long because that's a good joke. That's, yeah, that's funny. You need. I'm sorry. You, that was a good one to tee up <laughs> faster. I Aaron Rodgers drew on that. Actually, I kind of <laughs> went into my own rhythm and schedule there. I like to think I still made the play, <laughs> but it, it was a little frustrating. I only have so much Clay Harbor related material that I can go through here. Are we answering this this Rogers trivia thing before we move so on to you, the next you you got to if you when whoever's home right now when you're listening to this please shout out your answers and then uh like price is right and then Andy will listen to the audience and then give his answer. All right. Okay. Give give your answer. I want to say one guy. It's one is the answer. It's a number answer. Do you know who it is? You will you, did you look it up? I no, I promise okay. you I did not look it up. And I thought about this guy, and I almost clicked to confirm. But I thought, no, let's. I, I'm I'm confident enough that I'm going to answer it anyway without looking it up. I think it's Mercedes Lewis. Wow, 
Did you really it, not look it up? I did not look it up. He was like a late first round pick for Jacksonville. He a long was. Time ago. I mean, that that was that was a lifetime ago. You and I were not alive when Mercedes Lewis was drafted <laughs> into the league. So, and I I would almost argue you could. I mean, is that even count? That's he wasn't their first round pick. He's a, he's on the back end of his career. They got him on like the sixteenth hole of his of his outing here. Yeah. 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 It, so that is the answer, though. That is impressive. I I still think you looked it up. I I, don't I, I promise you, you, I did not. Uh, I have always answered these with integrity, and if I by that I mean when I do look it up, I admit it. I have not looked it up this time. Okay. I mean, I hinted that it was a small number, so I, I wasn't surprised that you answered one. I was just really well, yeah, surprised the fact that, that, that we're asking him. it. If the, that we're asking it, it's a small number. Rogers has yeah. been around for ten years. What do you? I mean, we, yeah. it's of course it's a small number. Twenty three. Uh, more than ten years. Twenty three would more be a than, lot. Yeah, 15 years for Rodgers. Why would I say yeah. 10? I don't know. I didn't <laughs> play for three. That's why. I mean, it's in the middle. It's in the middle. He was around for 12. We, you, you are, you are, uh, you are off right now because we are on what? This is team uh, 26 of of this uh, weekend of, of draft mania. But uh, let's go to. Uh, oh, we're arriving at the Minnesota Vikings. So now we have uh, a full hour to devote to the Vikings' 78 man draft class here. Uh, 15 players for the Vikings. Uh, we talked about Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney. Uh, you know, we, we still sort of wonder how, how Jefferson and Thielen, uh, what you do with them lining up. Jefferson presumably is going to play outside, which he didn't do in college. Uh, right? Presumably? Yeah, because there's, there's not a slot receiver in their lineup. They're not going to put three receivers on the field very often. They're, they will play with base personnel a lot of the time. Now, as we talked about the other night, though, with the nature of their offense, I think stylistically Jefferson will do more things that he did at LSU than you would guess mm-hmm. stylistically. By the way, how many LSU guys have become Minnesota Vikings, like actually big-time players? Because Justin Jefferson will have worn nothing but purple and yellow and white in his football. Where did he go to high school? He, this, he's going to be in the same color of uniform for his entire life. Do you know he was a uh, he was a zero star recruit at LSU? I did at not know that. I didn't even know there was such thing. I was a zero star recruit at a lot of places. <laughs> I guess I guess we all were. He was almost a podcast host, but instead he went to LSU and became a uh, 111 catch uh, national champion and now a first round NFL pick. Yeah. Uh, they take Jeff Gladney, who, uh, I mean, they, they need plenty of cornerbacks. They, they lost three of their first four, uh, cornerbacks from last season. So Jeff Gladney is going to take one of those spots. They also took Cameron Dantzler. Uh, I think Dantzler was maybe a first round dark horse type of guy until the combine. He just didn't run well. I, I hate to emphasize the combine that much, but I do think when it comes to cornerbacks, uh, I think those combine measurables, because it's such a uh, purely athletic reactionary position, not not fully, you still need, you know, some a, a fairly high football IQ and all that, but um, I, I think it's easy to sort of bump guys up or down based on what they run, and Dantzler did run uh, some of the four sixes at, a, uh, at the combine, but he is a big corner. Speed is one thing that can be hard to play without at cornerback in the NFL. That we could debate. I think speed. I don't want to say it's overrated. The forty time is certainly overrated. That to me, the forty time means almost nothing. So, but let's say this dance. Did you see Dantzler at all in college? Did he? Does he play fast at all? Uh, I would not. He doesn't. But I also would no, have guessed okay. he would have run as slowly as he did. I mean, I would have. I mean, whatever. I, I would have called him probably an average speed guy with good length. The speed's a hard one. Somebody, I forget, I wish I could give this guy credit because it was a really good tweet. Somebody had an image the other day 
Uh, and if you know who it was, tweet us or, or send us an email at TalkBack because it, it was an image of all the guys that have run slow 40 times in the draft and the names of the corners, and you, you wouldn't recognize hardly any. Josh Norman was the only name I recognized on first blush, I think. It's, there aren't a lot of slow corners in the NFL is the point. And uh, they take Ezra Cleveland, which uh, maybe spells the end of, of Riley Reef coming up. Possibly. By the way, Justin Jefferson, to clean that up, when he went to Destrehan High School in Louisiana, they were red and, and white. Yeah. Kind of. They almost looked like Washington State uniforms. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he, he you know, he's, uh, unfortunately, it's not. It can be all purple and yellow. But um, Cleveland, Riley Reef is he on the outs? Probably. Next year, you can get rid of him for uh, minimal cap damage, if I recall. One thing you might want to keep in mind this is actually floated to me. I was on the, the Boise radio show today. I did a bunch of radio stuff. Boise, by coincidence, was one of them. So my, my buddies down at KTIK pointed out maybe Riley Reef plays guard for him. And left guard was a position of need this year. I think Pat Elfline's had a lot of chances. I don't know if he's cashed in on him well enough. So could you kick Reef? I assume it'd be Reef you'd move inside because the guy who's been there a while and the guy who probably won't be there much longer, mm-hmm. you would be more willing to tinker with his position than, than Cleveland's, I would guess. But that you know, I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, they'll figure it out. Cleveland gives them more talent along the offensive line. We know that. And he does fit an outside zone scheme. He's a better zone blocker than man-to-man blocker. And look, they, I mean, they had a ton of day three picks here. They at one point were scheduled for 13. They traded a couple. They ended up making, uh, looks like, 11 day three picks. Uh, and they just, they need bodies in there. That, and they're going to have competitions. And, and you know, for their sake, they're going to try and shake out some of these guys. I, I'm sorry, we are not going to run through all of them. Um, that- what, what surprises me with all of this, Gary, is the discussion around Minnesota and, and the Kirk Cousins re-signing the contract kind of has propagated the discussion is that, well, now, now's the time. Our window is now. It looks to me like your window was last year. You, I mean, this is a lot of new personnel that they're incorporating, especially when you factor in who's going to be coming off the bench for them. This team is not nearly as good on paper as it was a year ago. It's a lot of new personnel, and I mean, look, we're we're probably going to talk all summer about how you know the 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 lack of mini camps and and all the virtual stuff is going to make it more difficult for new guys to be broken in, and uh, continuity is going to be an advantage for a lot of these teams. So, yep. uh, look, that they were in a lot of trouble cap wise. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that necessitated the the cousins restructuring to an extent uh someone someone pointed out to me after i i had floated will the vikings take jordan love and, and trade back in, in in my mock draft for the people which is not supposed to be uh uh read by anyone let alone followed at all but uh cousins 2022 contract becomes fully guaranteed if i have this correctly and, and i might be butchering it comes fully guaranteed on like the fifth day of the 2021 league year. So basically they're locked in to Kirk Cousins through 2022 on on expensive contracts. And I'm looking at now, I, I know this, they can't cut him now because that would trigger $62 million in dead cap money. So he'll be here for the duration of this season. How's that for analysis? Yeah. Kirk Cousins, look... It was in his it was in his interest to sign this deal as well because there were yeah. it's it's I mean it's yeah yeah no I, absolutely I I don't blame him I, I was just you know it, it was kind of head scratching that they were making these sort of three year commit I I really thought the Vikings at some point were going to kind of say ah uh, 
Cousin Singh is going well, but look at how much we're having to tear down. Maybe we want one of those rookie, uh, you know, quarterback contracts here, and uh, we'll roll the dice. We don't need necessarily need a guy at the top of the first round, uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, I wonder uh, if they would have done that if they had if they had had any clue at all. Maybe they had a clue, but if they knew that Green Bay was going after Jordan Love, would that have changed their approach? They could have had Love before the Packers got him. I guess, but it's the same problem. I mean, you, you, they they are locked in. They are locked into Cousins through twenty twenty two. Well, I guess I'm thinking before they locked themselves into Cousins, if they had. Oh, correct. Decided, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. I read you. Uh, one more division, and then we're done. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys have won the draft. Uh, they they will hold a parade as soon as they can, yeah, they can and yeah. uh, and that's that's it. I mean, we talked about CD Lamb a little bit on Friday and how Lamb. Uh, really allows Amari Cooper to play in the slot a lot, which is really where you want him. But uh, they end up getting Trayvon Diggs, who, I mean, look, maybe a little bit raw, but I don't know if Diggs necessarily has to play a huge role as a rookie. And I mean, my goodness, the you know he's a converted receiver, and the the physical traits are are I mean, this is a cornerback built in a lab type of thing. Yeah, long arm, physical guy probably doesn't have to play right away, although I, I would think they would want that because if he's not, then who's your number? I mean, it's either Anthony Brown playing outside, probably be Jordan Lewis outside, and Anthony Brown would stay in the slot in that case. Which I, I think is serviceable. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably fine. I like Lewis as a really good number four corner and in a way where I, I'm on, I want him on the field at times. I don't want him just being on the bench and we feel good that he's on the bench and he might come in if we need him I think he deserves to be on the field he's a good player I liked him as a, in the role he's been in as a number four corner who can do a lot of different things for you play all the play all the corner spots and uh they end up with their other day two pick they take a, a Neville Gallimore uh penetrating interior defensive lineman uh, what, what's Mike Nolan gonna do up front here with this uh with this unit well, last time we saw Mike Nolan calling plays in the NFL, I believe he was with the Falcons as their defensive coordinator, and they made a conscious effort under him to be a blitzing defense. They even had meetings about it with the front office and said, we feel we can manufacture our pass rush, so let's not go. We don't need to get a, they didn't say it back then, but we don't need to get a Demarcus Lawrence type of guy. We don't need these super expensive premium pass rushers. We need corners who can do that because we'll manufacture the pass rush. Just give us the coverage on the back end that makes us feel comfortable being aggressive. That was his approach when we last saw him. Now, maybe he's shifted his philosophy a little bit. They did sign Don Terry Poe. Mm -hmm. They signed Gerald McCoy. You just described Gallimore as a one-gap penetrator type of guy. Those players fit a 4-3 zone-based scheme. So maybe they're wanting to stick with that. That's what they had under Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard this past year. Quite frankly, they didn't play that scheme very well this past year. It has not worked. It, it should work out for them because they had a lot of talent on defense, but it did not work out for them. They weren't good enough in it. So I would think Nolan's going to do more of the blitzing and be a little bit more multiple than what we've seen, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, he's uh, they just didn't tackle well last year. And maybe maybe getting Leighton Vander Esch back in the lineup rectifies some of that uh the giants we talked about it they 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 chose andrew thomas they liked andrew thomas best there's 
nothing wrong with that. They'll be right or they'll be wrong, but Andrew Thomas will be their right tackle. Uh, Xavier McKinney was their early second-round pick here. A lot of people thought McKinney was going round one. Um, you know, versatile safety, you can play over the slot a little bit, and I think if you're going to play him over the slot, it's more of a, a zone-look type of thing, but very good at undercutting routes. There you go. And they, 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 whatever it is, they could use that kind of piece overall. They could use a third safety if they want. Remember, it's Patrick Graham as their coordinator now. He's not a pure Patriot guy. He's had some other exposure to other schemes, but my guess is Joe Judge hired him because he's more Patriot than not Patriot on defense. Patrick Chung's an enormous player for New England in terms of establishing the style of play that franchise prefers. Do you maybe view. Xavier McKinney in that kind of light, the do-everything type of box safety slash corner. Chung, I see as kind of a slot corner at times. They'll have options there. And it might change week to week, too. That's another Patriot trademark. And we wondered if uh, if they'd address offensive line again. Uh, you know, Thomas will start on the right side this year. Does he move to the left side? What do they do? But they probably need another uh, tackle long term. I don't know if Nate Solder stays there, but uh, they do. Dave Gutterman goes back to the old proven formula of taking the best UConn offensive tackle available. Last time the Giants did that, of course, it led to two Super Bowl championships when they took uh, Will Beatty in the second round back in 2009. So I forgot um, about Will Beatty. That's what. That's a guy that just I just. <laughs> he was a, he was a nice player when he was, he was at his at his height. Yeah, he was. And Matt Parrott is kind of a late comer to football, uh, but uh, but a really good prospect. And and again, as as a as a UConn supporter, not a very passionate one, but as a UConn supporter, it was nice to see some uh, UConn highlights that were not them getting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's one I just was there's one of AJ Dillon uh the, the running back from BC the Packers took and uh there were like eight Yukon guys trying to tackle him at like the 15 yard line and he just carried them all into the end zone and like that was that was the Yukon draft weekend that and Matt a, I have a, a quick Will Beatty story for you Ooh, yeah um it comes out of 2017 I want to say I want to make sure I get the timing right on this uh, our old friend, Matt Gagne, the Eagles signed Will Beatty. Matt Gagne is our editor at the MMQB. He, he was there from the beginning of it. He was one mm-hmm. of the original guys. Yep. Um, the Eagles signed Will Beatty. I guess I'm going back. It looks like it's November of 2017. And when they signed him, so that's midseason. Will Beatty had been out of the NFL. He was 32 years old at that point. Matt, uh, uh, Matt, Matt Gagne contacted me wanting to know if I was wanting to do you want to write up the Will Beatty thing the big breaking news on Will Beatty they signed a left tackle and I said what what do you mean what what breaking news like and he goes well they got Will Beatty the Giants tackle I said it's November we're in the middle of November he hasn't been in the league they he's a retread guy I mean he's had a nice career but this isn't this isn't new you know he's not gonna play and Gandhi was blown away by that. He couldn't believe I was turning the story down. The Will Beatty. What would I have said in that article? Two-time Super Bowl champion Will Beatty signs with the Eagles. Yeah, and I guess, you know, he would have won the Super Bowl that year, right? I'm telling you, you take a, take a UConn tackle on day two and just watch the multiple Super Bowls roll does in. That, wait, does Will Beatty have three rings in? No, 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 I don't think he. I don't think he stayed in Philadelphia. He long wasn't there long enough. That was enough the, that was, well, that's the story we should have written. Then was when they got rid of Will Beatty early in 2017 after signing him. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, How many? Uh, this is. Uh, 
If I no, I'm sorry, we sorry, sorry, sorry. He did win. That's right. 2017, he won with the Eagles. He only won one Super Bowl with the, okay. uh, the All Giants. Right. He missed that, 42. Yeah. That that seems that makes more sense. So now. I'm sorry. Matt Parrott only leads to one Super Bowl for the Giants here. So you can you can deal with that. Um, but yeah, Matt Parrott, uh, developmental uh, out, uh, offensive tackle here. So they they got two tackles who hopefully become their their tackles of the future here. Uh, day three, lots of defense. Uh, Darnay Holmes is is very fast. The 110th pick and and sort of up and down at UCLA, but uh, interesting guy. And we'll we'll see the the Giants still sort of building this thing up, and obviously the Cowboys are very good in that division, and so are the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles had probably the most controversial pick of the weekend, and we'll get to that in a second. But look, when we came into this off season, we kind of said, "Boy, Eagles got to add speed. They got to add speed." And I mean, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Is, we'll do it. They said. Absurd. Uh, yeah. Jalen Rieger, and then they took John Hightower out of Boise State, who is uh, just a pure burner. And then they they trade for Marquise Goodwin. They get Deshaun Jackson back, and I'm I'm sure someone's made the joke that that's a four by one hundred relay team, but uh, that's also not a joke. That is like a bronze medal winning four by one hundred relay team. If you want to put them out there. There was a lot of watch on this Marquise Goodwin trade. It was all these updates. You know, Goodwin trade could go down. Niners are open to Goodwin trade. Marquise Goodwin didn't play last year for them. So, I mean, he. it's nice they got him, and he's a speedster. Goodwin will have to beat out John Hightower, because otherwise they're going to go with the, the fifth-round rookie, mm-hmm. and Hightower is going to have to beat out Deshaun Jackson for significant snaps. He probably won't do that, but he'll be in the lineup Yes, speed overall. They got speed, and, and last year they addressed the, the need to replace Will Beatty at left tackle with Andre Dillard. So they're all set there as long as he can be better against the bull rush. It's it's an athletic offense overall. When you look at, the, I mean, Lane Johnson, Jelson, Jason Kelsey, Andre Dillard at, at offensive line, a lot of speed at wide receiver, versatile tight ends, and a quarterback who will be aggressive with all of that. And uh, Jalen Hurts. They took Jalen Hurts. Everyone in Philadelphia. I, I couldn't believe how much uh, vitriol was was being uh, spewed out on the Jalen Hurts pick. Uh, I'll just say this. And uh, number one, Carson Wentz hasn't made it to the end of a season since his rookie year. Uh, I know people are going to say, "Well, he started the playoff game," but yeah, he got hurt during the playoff game, and then they had to put Josh McCown out there, who was you know limping around on a bad hamstring because he's uh, you know he's he's my age and trying to play professional football. Uh, he's, Jay- he's a little younger than you, Gary, but that's all right. Go ahead. No, no, we're the same age. We are, are absolutely the, exact the same, same age. age. Yes, same athleticism and and similar success in our careers. All right, uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, so yes, you have yourself a backup quarterback. Um, again, we saw what happened with Nick Foles. Uh, they probably feel pretty good about their ability to develop quarterbacks here. Uh, but more than that, I mean, look, they clearly have some sort of plan for Jalen Hurts to be involved in the offense in some way, uh, while Carson Wentz is healthy and starting and playing. So I, it's, it's, It's too early to know what this pick is, but it's therefore too early to be so upset about this pick. I think the pick will be some kind of form of Antoine Randall when he was with Pittsburgh and a former quarterback. Kind of, he was more of a receiver than Hurts, obviously, but that kind of concept, an extensive gadgetry type of pick the problem is it's going to be hard to find enough snaps for him Taysom Hill is the closest equivalent that we have 
And he gets on the field for about half the snaps, but he's a blocking tight end at times where he's an H-back. He's a, a, a receiving tight end. Hill can do a lot more than what Jalen Hurts can do based on what it appears Hurts' skill set is entering the NFL right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say this. Though. I mean, look, they're the same size. Uh, Taysom Hill, and I'm not sitting here saying the Eagles uh, really like the thought of Jalen Hurts blocking and, and tackling on special teams, but... You know, Taysom Hill, if you watched him in college, you would have just said, like, oh, that's that's like right-handed Tim Tebow. That's that's a that's a quarterback who can't really throw. What are they going to do with him? Uh, and this is what they did with I don't think anyone would have looked at Taysom Hill coming out of BYU and said, like, oh, this, you know, here's a special teams ace and a, uh, you know, a potential, like, H-back tight end type of guy. Yeah, you're, you know, you make a great point. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't realize Jalen Hurts was as thick as he was. He's 6'1", 222, it looks like. He doesn't, and maybe I'm. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't. My eyeball test doesn't seem to say that's what he is. He I actually, I, I used to think the same thing about him. I did not think he was that big until I uh, until I saw the measurements before the combine when he went to Oklahoma because I was kind I mean, of curious about his NFL prospects at that point. Yeah, I mean, honest, I'm not being snarky or anything here. He, maybe he wears different padding than, than Taysom Hill because Taysom Hill looks big. I'm surprised Hill's not 230. 220-something is his weight, low 220s. So, yeah, maybe you're on to something there. Maybe I need to expand my thinking on it. We know this, Gary. Philadelphia would not make this pick unless they had a clear plan in mind right now of what they're going to do with Jalen Hurts. And they're not going to tell us what the plan is. They're, they're, yeah. they're a secretive team for one, but for two, it makes, even if they were a, a blabbermouth team or a media friendly team, uh, they still shouldn't tell anybody. That's, that's good trade information that they have in their hands right now. And uh, can, can I give you my Josh McCown story real quick? Yeah. Definitely. I told this a few years ago. Do you remember the story? No. I saw Josh McCown at the Combine. I guess I can say it now because everybody's moved on. He was meeting with the Bears staff. So it was Adam Gase uh, as a coordinator, and then John Fox was a coach. Ryan mm-hmm. Pace was the GM. So McCown had come into – sometimes at the Combine, every once in a while, you'll see a player. Frank Gore I saw a few years ago just sitting there in the in the lobby. They come in if they're still unsigned or they're looking at long-term contracts, like a two-year extension type of deal. Anyway, McCown was in town talking a contract. Um, maybe now I think about it, maybe I'm not supposed to say this at all because it may have been a tampering meeting. <laughs> but um, anyway, what? how do you – they were at the Hyatt at a, eating a fancy breakfast at the Hyatt restaurant – what would you have guessed Josh McCown wore to that meeting? Specifically, what kind of footwear? Uh, Crocs. It's a good guess. You want to take another one? It's it's. Uh, I'll tell you this. It's a not, good guess, and it's n- way off. Both. Not, you not can, Birkenstocks. No. Combat boots. Whoa. Like a goth. Like, like those kids from the mall when you were young. Yeah. You'd see at the mall. Yeah. And they were the kind that went up almost like up over most of his shin really yeah these were these were heavy duty boots nice yeah Yeah, good on him yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> and with that, we go on to Davion Taylor, the uh, linebacker from Colorado. Uh, Davion Taylor is also just incredibly fast. They they have, uh, whenever they do a track meet, if they decide to do track meets instead of uh, football games this year, the Eagles are going to uh, just blow everyone away. Uh, Davion Taylor, uh, Colorado linebacker, 4-3-something guy, just, just incredibly fast track athlete, uh, and just a raw football player. He didn't play uh, high school football, or I should say, he. I believe he appeared in one game, but he was a, uh, uh, and, and still possibly still is a seventh day Adventist and they, they did not uh, participate in football because of the schedule. Uh, and then Kayvon Wallace, kind of a, a big uh, slot guy, safety type of type of dude from Clemson. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, that, I look, I think the Eagles are in good shape. I don't think they had desperate needs. Uh, I, I really like adding Darius Slay and, and Javon Hargrave during the free agency period. And uh, I, you know, yes, Jalen Hurts is a luxury pick, I didn't really have a problem with it. I'm not going to say it's great, but I just didn't have a big problem with it. And apparently everyone just wants to, uh, I don't know, just punch Howie Roseman in the back of the head or something. Well, and I, I always struggle to criticize individual picks because, again, these teams, they know so much more about who these guys are, what they need, all the variables that go in these teams have infinitely more information than we do. So who are we to ever criticize an individual pick? I, am, I I do think it's fine to analyze a draft and look at the concept of it, but it's hard to ever say you should not have taken that guy. Take this guy instead. How, how, who do you tell that to? No. No, I'm... I'm... I'm with you. I was just surprised at how of, upset of course. the Eagles <laughs> Yeah, no, and I guess if we didn't do that, if, you, if we didn't have that freedom, none of us would have jobs, too. So maybe I need to backtrack a little bit on that. But uh, let's play it out. Let's see what they have in mind for Jalen Hurts, and then we'll analyze it. I was surprised by the pick, though. I'll say that. Okay. I was just surprised by the re- I, I was surprised by the pick too. I was just surprised by the reaction to the pick, especially for the team that just won the Super Bowl two years ago with a backup quarterback. I, I thought you'd you know, be a little bit more... Not excited, yep. but just sort of understanding of, of what might be going on. But like I said, I, Jalen Hurts is going to have a role outside of backup quarterback, and we'll see what that is. Uh, that brings us to the last team of our draft extravaganza. That is Washington. Uh, Chase Young obviously became the the second overall pick. That kind of surprised no one. They they have a chance to have a really good pass rush there. Um, day two, 66th pick, uh, Antonio Gibson. Uh, I, I've seen him listed as a running back somewhere, a receiver somewhere. Uh, I would think running back in Washington. And and honestly, I think he's a really good running back. I think he's a really good running back prospect. I think he's a guy who uh, early on you'll put him on the field on passing downs, and I think he can become much more than that. I, I think uh, down the line he might be a, uh, you know, a, a, a three-down sort of lead your committee type of guy. And the Redskins have seen over the years how valuable Chris Thompson has been to them when he's been available and, and really how, how much the offense was reduced when he was unavailable. Different system, different team, all that stuff. Now I get that. Uh, same uniforms, though. But the, the point is having the, dyna- the dynamic running back, that can do a lot to help, especially a young quarterback, because those running back routes, it's going to be a limited route tree just by nature. You can't run every route out of the backfield. You can only run a certain number. And even if Gibson gives them a weapon there, and I think they'll use him in more ways than just that, but even if he's only that kind of weapon, that'll be important for Dwayne Haskins, especially considering that they really don't have a starting caliber tight end on the roster. So they need some kind of, you have to have a gadget, not gadget, you have to have a matchup piece somewhere in the offense. If you don't have it at tight end, you need it at receiving back. 
Yeah, they uh, they ended up signing uh, Randy Moss's son, uh, Thaddeus Moss, uh, in in the free agency period. And I'm not sitting here saying yeah. like, well, now they have a tight end that they got this undrafted free agent. But <laughs> well, you're kind of uh, saying that a little, yeah, bit. a little bit. It's more that that is more of a factoid. You accuse me of a factoid of my Los Angeles Chargers uh, sort of sort of Super Bowl fodder uh, on on the last show, but that is a factoid. They signed Thaddeus Moss, uh, and I don't know Thaddeus Moss probably would have been drafted if if not for uh, a foot injury that sort of kept uh, teams from getting a good look at him. But um, yeah, they, they uh, you know Trent Williams is gone. They end up taking uh, Sadiq Charles, uh, LSU offensive tackle, who they hope will one day grow into that left tackle spot. And uh, everyone loves Antonio Gandy Golden because uh, he's the Liberty receiver, um, really big dude. Someone, it, <laughs> I, I don't want to pick on someone, especially because I don't remember who the analyst was, but someone gave him a Calvin Johnson comp. Oh well, uh, like when they're doing that, <laughs> they're they're doing that stylistically. I mean, yeah. don't, come on, don't be a fanboy on it. Cause we we deal, we've all dealt with those kind of people. You know that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I agree. I would not have the gall to do that, even if I'm saying stylistically, um, because of what you just did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but Gandy Golden, he, I, I don't know, he's he's like a, a he had a bunch of neat factoids up in the screen when they took him. He's a gardener, and I think he bowled like a three hundred game, and he's a guitarist, and uh, probably the most interesting draft pick I'd say since uh, Clay Harbor. There you go. You worked it back in. Nice job there. That, that's how you. That's how you wrap up a trilogy. And by the way, I, I I honestly don't remember if Clay Harbor was drafted, but he had a fine couple years. He did, and I don't know where he is now. That's all, we don't need to find. I mean, I'm going to Google it, but we we can end the show. <laughs> that's, next, that's next week's trivia question. Oh man, it, it, he's on something called Team Nine. Oh, XFL. That was. Oh, the, there you I go. guess that's the team name on Wikipedia or something. Okay. All right. So there. All right. He's out there. He's doing all right. We think. <laughs> uh, Andy. I'm so glad you did this with it. This was this was a fun three shows. I think for the first time ever, we actually spaced these out properly so that we didn't want to uh, just kill each other by the end of yep. it. Yeah, we had some long Sundays in the past, uh, and this was nice. This was great to spread it out over several shows. I'm with you on that. And same, Shelby Royce, our producer, also, uh, as far as we know... Uh, does not wish us any particular harm now that this is all over. I will say, I just remember the one year uh, Lou Pellegrino was still our producer at that point, uh, probably two or three years ago, and we needed multiple bathroom breaks during the podcast because it was just uh, it was just so long, and we thought it was never going to end. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, that's kind of the year. I re- that was a Sunday afternoon I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy... Once again, we thank you for joining us as our special guest, and uh, I, I feel this is just goodbye for now. Yep, I'll talk to you at some point in the near future, I'm sure, Gary. All right. <laughs> the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is me, Gary Grambling, and special thanks once again to Andy Benoit for joining us for the NFL Draft Recap Trilogy. We are produced by Shelby Royston, SI's executive producer of podcasts, is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire line of the podcast five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Hey. 
the Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.